we're talking about prayer. And prayer is something is when you first start into a relationship with God. And even before that, if you could just start walking with God, you're starting to like, what is prayer? Why do we do it? Why do we pray? What, what are we doing when, we talk, when we're talking to God? Who do we address? You know, what is prayer for? What's the benefit? Is anybody else like me? I mean, I, was, I grew up like that. And I grew up in a pastor's home. and I had no idea what was prayer even for. Right? It just seemed like something that you would do to kind of check in with God, like you were checking in from curfew or something like that, or whenever you needed an extra 20 bucks to fill your tank or whatever it was, that's what you did to pray. And if I could go back and teach my young self something, I would have told my young self that there is so much value in prayer. And prayer is so much more than just the small-sounding word that it is. It really moves the heart of God. And I want to show you that tonight through some scriptural example, but also through some experience that God has been taking me through personally. And I'd love just to share, you, share with you a little bit about that. Uh, when you get into prayer, how many of you like to listen to music? You like to get your jam on, right? And there are certain things in life that are non-negotiables. One of them is Spotify Premium. Can I get an amen? All right, that's right. But I love to, you know, get into some music when I'm getting into praying. And the other week, I was listening to some music, and uh, it was this one playlist. It's a great uh, study jam, if you want to uh, check this out. It's just called Peaceful Piano. It's great. And uh, I just love hearing piano. My wife plays the piano, and I heard this one song in this playlist that immediately took me back 20-some years ago. And the song was a song that my wife played in her senior recital in college. And I'd heard this song so many times, over and over and over. When we were dating or engaged, I would go with her there in the practice rooms and just listen. I'd bring my homework in there and, and do that. And it was really just a, a peaceful, tranquil time. And this song was one of my favorites. And I felt like in this moment of prayer that God just kind of sent me this song right away. And it was just immediate joy right away. It was a great time of prayer. And that made me think about, you know, my time in college. Isn't that amazing how a song can take you back? A song is kind of like time traveling, isn't it? Like it can take you back to a certain time and a certain place where you were, who you were with, and this is what the song was doing for me. And I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, my wife and I, we met at a small Bible college outside of Springfield, in, in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, a long time ago. You guys were probably not even born at that point. But uh, we, were, we were students, we were freshmen together. She came in the spring semester, and I remember the semester that she came, she was known as the piano player. And I always wondered why, like, why are we calling her the piano player? I was, uh, and then I found out in choir, uh, she was really good. She came early to school, she was 17, and she could sight read music, but she has a beautiful ear as well, and she can do it all. She's amazing. And uh, she had one of the most under-attended recitals that I'd ever seen, but it was so heavenly, it was so beautiful, and the music chair had been there 30 years, walked up to her in tears, and he never gave compliments to anybody. And he told my wife, he said, this was the most beautiful, flawless recital I've ever heard in my 30-year tenure here at the school. And no one got to see it. There were probably 12 people there in attendance. But I remember every second of it. It was amazing. And honestly, I look back at that, and I'm thinking, man, what did she see in me? outside of some moderate charm and, and a few chords on the guitar and eight band-aids covering my hands, all the warts on my hands. I mean, what was it that she saw in me at that point? And I, I'm telling you, I outpunted my coverage. But I will boast to my dying day that I married the piano player. 
And I wish that I could show you just a little time capsule of us back then. And uh, truthfully, what it was, I mean, you guys have probably experienced this either right now or sometime in your life, uh, is I got friend zone a few times, dating, right? And uh, I just, I couldn't communicate. I, I couldn't communicate, I couldn't type, I couldn't do anything. In fact, the way that I met her is I found out that she had a computer. Now I'm gonna really date myself. This is back in 95, you guys, all right? How many of you were not born in 95? Can I just see your hands real quick? Thank you very much for making me feel old and ancient. But she had a computer. This was 95, and nobody had computers in the dorms back then, just the cool kids and homeschoolers. And uh, she came to school with a computer, and I found out she could type, like, some ridiculous amount of words, flawless. And, and so I was like, well, hey, she can type my English paper. You know, and I was flunking English at the time. And she, she was a spring student, so she didn't, you know, know MLA format, which was what the school was using at the time. And uh, she typed it up, and uh, I turned it in, and I got a big fat F on that paper, and it was 40% of my grade, failed the class. So I failed English, but I got a wife, which was really great, you know. <laughs> but during that time, man, I did not know how to communicate my feelings to my girlfriend, and then fiance, and then my wife, and it was a problem, and I brought that into my relationship with God that I've really never learned how to communicate to God, interpersonally. And prayer, it's affected my relationship with my wife early on. I had to learn how to communicate with my wife. And I figured out why I didn't communicate with her. Because I didn't love her like I thought I loved her. I thought I adored my wife when we were 18 years old. I don't know how much, how many 18-year-olds adore something that they will learn to adore it when they're older. And you do. I mean, the, the love that you feel is, is as real as you possibly can feel it. But what I know now, I know that I really didn't love my wife like I thought I did. I didn't adore my wife like I thought I did. I didn't know my wife like I thought I did, like I do now. And our communication is way different. My prayer life was awful. Just until recently. Awful. And I've centered on the reason why. I didn't love God. Like, I thought I loved God. Guys, this is so strange. Like I, I grew up in a pastor's home. I, I went to Christian schools, Bible college, Christian camp, married another pastor's kid. We have five pastor's kids. I've only ever been in the ministry vocationally. That's a lot of Christianity, right? But it was enough to inoculate me. And why is it that it's taken me so long to figure this out? It's because I didn't love God like I thought I did. And I hear it. I mean, man, this is amazing. When you're hearing you guys sing and just being a part of the worship, when we lift up the songs, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. You guys sing that with conviction. I really believe that. And I was in there with you singing that. And we sing these songs like we adore God. We love God. We know God. And really, if we were to point it down to the bare minimum in your heart, is do you really love God like you should? Do you really adore God like you think you do? And I'm going to base it on this. Based upon your prayer, life will determine the level of your affection to God. If your prayer life is cold and non-existent, there's your answer. Now, this is the thing too, guys. Some of you are in here and you're just, you're, maybe you're brand new uh, to to Jesus, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Maybe you're in here still kicking the tires on faith. And wherever you are, man, we are so glad that you're here. And I know that God has something for you wherever you're at 
in your journey. But I want to tie these two things together, is that if your prayer life is off, then I know how I can help you. Now, if you're not humble enough to admit that, then we're not going to be able to get anywhere. But if that's your story, and it might not be, maybe you're 20 years down the road from me, and you're 20 years younger than me. That's possible. Seriously, some of you guys might just blow my devotion out of the water, and you're half my age. That's not abnormal to happen. But if you live like I do, I know that there's something in this for you tonight. Really, the way that we love God is completely different than the way we love other people. The economics of our relationships are completely different to how God loves. I'll just give you a couple things. If you were to um, take one Bible verse to me and it, to explain to me God's love, what verse would you use out of the Bible? Anybody? John 3.16. What, what is it? Just for God to love the world. Let me hear you. Shall not perish, but have everlasting life, right? This is God's love, right? We all know that. It's great. 1 John 4.19. Anybody know this? I've got this one here for you. 1 John 4.19 says this. We love because he first loved us, right? What's the difference, the one word difference between that verse and the one we just read, John 3, uh, read out loud, John 3.16? One word difference. Because. God's love doesn't have a Because. Ours does. Why? Because our love for God doesn't happen naturally. It has to be given to us supernaturally. That doesn't mean you're off the hook. Like, great. I don't have to love anybody now. No. Once God gives it to you, you actually get to learn how to love like God loves you. And just to give you a, a basic understanding of how I know for sure that the economics of our relationships are completely polarized to God's is this quote by a great old British preacher called Charles Spurgeon. He said this, evil for good, that is devil-like. Okay? Evil for evil, that's beast-like. Good for good, well, that's man-like. But good for evil, that is God-like. Guys, admit it. Your relationships, my relationships with you, with me, with each other, with your parents, your coworkers, they are all somehow based on conditions, amen? They're all somehow based on some kind of condition. They're limited in nature. Is if you treat me right, guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna treat you right. If you treat me bad, watch out right? That's just how we handle things. This is not how God loves. Good for evil. Who does that? No one. <laughs> just Jesus. He's the only one that can do it. And what he does is he gives us that love supernaturally. Some of you guys are coming in here tonight, and you need to hear the basics, the, fun, the fundamentals of the gospel is this. That God wanted to expand his kingdom and his glory into the universe. His standard of righteousness, which Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen way short of God's glorious standard of righteousness. And in order to carry out this glory into the universe, the standard of love and righteousness, he wanted to have a family. That's where you and I come in. Let us make man in our image. Male and female, he created them. Gave them the breath of life. But in order for it to be a real loving relationship, he had to give us what? He had to give us a choice. 
so that it would be a real love relationship. Well, it's apparent, not only in Scripture, but by experience, there hasn't been one person, save one, to live up to that standard of righteousness because we all have the choice to either choose to love God or to not love God. If I could describe God to you in one word, the way that the Bible would um, put exclamation points on things, uh, Jewish and Hebrew grammar, they wouldn't put an exclamation point on the end of a word like we do. Who uses exclamation points anymore because of emojis, right? We've got emojis who needs punctuation, right? And, And in Jewish grammar, what you would see is if they had something to say at the end of a sentence for emphasis, they wouldn't put it on an exclamation point, they would repeat the word. So that's why you would see Jesus saying, the King James would say, verily, verily, or NIV says, truly, truly, I say to you. If Jesus said truly, it meant not only true, that it was true, but if he said truly, truly, it not only is true, but it was important that you need to listen, you're accountable. So there's one word in all the Bible that's reserved for being repeated thrice, and it's to explain God's character. God is love, but he's not love, love, love. God is just, but he's not just, just, just. God is holy, holy, holy. He's committed to it. Holiness is transcendent. It's glory. It's perfection. There's not one flaw or blemish in it, and he's committed to it. That is his character. And in order to be in God's, in a relationship with God, in order to be in God's presence, you must be holy like he's holy. Well, there's a problem. We're not. We're not holy. All he needed was one representative to live the standard of righteousness to climb the rock wall of God's righteousness, to ring the bell, to come down, and not only that, but to die as a blood sacrifice for the rest of us. Well, guess what? It actually happened. And now what Jesus, because of his sinless life, his uncontested death and resurrection, he now stands to you and offers you his love. He looks at your hot mess and holds out his righteousness, and he says... Do you want to trade? If you're hearing the gospel in clarity for the first time tonight, this is as simple as this. God wants to take your dumpster fire and exchange for it his righteousness. And he takes it and puts it upon his shoulders and he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. And now you have the opportunity to respond to God and you, you can actually learn to love like God because at the moment of salvation, he puts it in you. Now it has to be exercised. But this is how he does it. It's not in us naturally, so it has to be given to us supernaturally. Just a couple things here. I want you to turn your Bibles if you have your Bibles. If not, we'll have them up here on the screens for you. Romans 8, verses 26 to 28. Romans 8, verses 26 to 28. I don't think we'll ever experience deep communion with God in prayer until we learn how to love like God does. But if you're like me, you're wondering, well, how do I pray? I want to love God. Yeah, I want to aspire to that. That sounds like something that I want to do. Yes, how do I pray? And God knows this. He knows that you and I, it doesn't come naturally to us. In fact, look at this verse in Romans 8. We remember verse 28. You remember this? Is that, you know, we all know that that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. But what is 26 and 27? Read these with me. These really breathe life into your prayer. It says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. 
For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession with groans which cannot be uttered. Groans too deep for words. Now He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So before you get this whole prayer thing figured out, know this, that the Holy Spirit, if you have received the wholesale forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus, you have the Spirit of God in you right now. And what He's doing is He's praying in you. I love this quote by C.H. Dodd. He said this, is that prayer is the divine in us appealing to the divine above us that's prayer it happens yes we use our words we use our thoughts we use our body we use our language to pray but before that ever happens prayer is the holy spirit in us appealing to god for you on your behalf with groans too deep for words and i don't know if you've ever been in that situation you guys when you've had something that was so pressing upon your life, so discouraging, so distressing, that all you could do was groan. There were no words to help you articulate what it was that you were going through, what it was that you were experiencing, what it was that you were feeling. The Holy Spirit gets that. He prays in a language too deep for human understanding. And verse 27 says He does it to find you a favorable answer. I remember a few years ago, we planted a church, my wife and I, six adults and a teenager, back in 2010, in Ashland, Ohio, which is about 45 minutes south of Metro Cleveland. And it was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. I always felt bad for not going in the military, and then I planted a church. I have no more regret whatsoever. It was, it was great. I'm in the Lord's Army. But uh, one of the best things that happened is I got uh, one of my best friends to come and, and to, to lead our worship. I was, you guys remember that show, Ace of Cakes? And uh, I can't remember, the, what's the guy's name, the chef? Yeah, that guy. He uh, was in the intro of Ace of Cakes. He gives this short bio. It's the coolest thing. And he says, you know, when I got out of culinary school, I thought I'd, you know, hire the best people I knew for the job, my best friends. And uh, then after a while, he regrets that decision because hiring your best friends is not always the best business venture, Right. But uh, this one, actually, I, I heard that, and I was like, I called my buddy Chris. He was in Arizona at the time, and I'm like, man, I can't pay you, uh, but I can pray for you, and uh, I, I need you to get up here and lead worship. And he did. He, had, he and his wife and three kids moved up six months later, and they had no idea how God was going to provide, and he did. It was amazing. So the next four years, we were together, and uh, just, man, the church was growing. God was doing some amazing things, such as we'd never seen or experienced in our life. It was a special time. And I'll always look back at that time in high regard. But the day came when Chris and Janice moved. They moved to Texas and uh, just got to it. And he just felt God moving and it was time. And it was, it was just a hard transition. You know, it was hard to see him go. And uh, the last driveway they pulled out of was ours. And I mean, we're talking four years of the kids just growing up together. You know, we were, you know, uncle and aunt, not even related, that kind of relationship, you know. I think the kids, you know, clocked three million on the squeakometer, on the trampoline. I mean, just inside jokes, confidential information shared. It was beyond friendship, it was communion. 
And there's going to be an opportunity for you guys tonight. If you're not in community, we've got something called Open Community Group. And we're here for you. We want that for you. But this is the deepest thing I knew about friendship. was the body of Christ. And when they pulled out of my driveway, I was just walking inside. And my wife was over there at the sink just washing dishes and just the tears are coming down her face and I didn't know what to say I just walked up behind her and groaned I was like Ugh. and she turned around and we hugged and had a really good cry together I think that that's the first time we ever cried together in an embrace and it was cool but it was awful at the same time our friends moved away you know and all I could do was groan and guys some of you were thinking man I don't know how to pray other than just a Ugh. that's prayer That could be one of the most profound prayers you ever utter in your life. God, help. The Holy Spirit prays for you and groans too deep for words. And he searches to find a favorable answer for you. There was this time in my life, I was a, a young teenager. Like I said, I grew up in a pastor's home. But my 13th birthday, we moved into our 13th dwelling. Every year was a new house. Every other year was a new state. Everywhere. We just could not stay anywhere. And it was awful on our family. Awful. And I remember turning to the bad crowd. My 13, I was 13, 14 years of age. Turning to a life of deceit. And um, I remember being so alone. And I didn't know how else to pray. I've never told anybody this, so you guys are the first. But I've been so embarrassed about it through the years, but I went behind the church, and I screamed for God. I screamed as a 13-year-old kid for God to do something in my life. And I don't know if the neighbors heard me, but I know their dogs did, because <laughs> it was just this barking frenzy. And, but I didn't care. I was just so alone and I wanted and guys do you know why Jesus got alone to pray because his prayers were probably they would probably embarrass him if he had them in public some of you guys the first prayer or the prayer you need to have right now is something to where you need to get alone with God and just let it out and to get with God sometimes you just have to get over yourself in order to connect with God maybe you have to get over those inhibitions and say I need it I know what I need And I know what I need to say and my heart is bursting. I can't wait to get alone with God just to tell him and I can't say it in any other way than just a yell. That might be your first most significant prayer you've had in your life. Could be the thing that turns the tide. And I can tell you from that point on, God radically saved me behind the church that day. Radically. I became somebody completely different at that day. And all I had to do was let him know by letting out a yell. Maybe that's the exact thing that you need to do. But prayer is the divine in us, appealing to the divine above us. And I gotta say this to you guys. Look at this verse in Psalm 57, 17, is that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. If this is your story, you're coming to God broken. You're coming to God urgent. This is what God really loves. The sacrifices of God are your broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, he won't despise it. He won't turn you away if you come to him in brokenness. 
That's not the only way. There's a couple other ways that maybe that's not where you're at tonight, but you need to come to God. But most of our prayers, if you're willing to be honest with me, are uninspired, uninformed, and for the most part, full of self-interest. When we learn how to pray, that we learn that we need to do it, I think God kind of, when we first give our lives to Jesus, there is this need that God puts in your heart for him that only he can fill. There's a vacuum that God puts in you, and the only way to do it is to be with God in a relationship with God. Through prayer, you got to communicate to God. God puts this there. And what he does is he's teaching you how to pray that most of our prayers are really uninformed. That if we were to educate ourselves on how to pray, things would change. Most of them are uninspired, that we don't attach them to significant life experiences or real needs that accord with the will of God. And most of them, if we're just being honest, are for the most part still full of self-interest. And it takes years to unlearn this. One thing I'm learning right now, I'm just excited to see what God's going to do in my life as I quit praying for me. If you want to fix you, I don't know if praying for you is the thing to pray for. God always wants to work through you guys. This is my favorite passage in all the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21. If any man's in Christ, is a new creature. Everything becomes new, the old discarded. And now God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. We are the ambassadors of Christ. And it is as though God is making his appeal through you. Be reconciled to God. God wants to heal somebody through you. And the moment we think, well, God can fix me. Yes, he can fix you. He can absolutely fix you. But never forget this. The gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. It didn't come to stay. It came to you for sure, for you, but on its way to somebody else. If you guys remember, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus sent the disciples out on a doomed mission. All right? And it would seem that he would kind of do this from time to time. But if you remember in Mark 3, in the, first, in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell this story about when Jesus gathered the 12 to himself, he gave them two things to do right off the bat. They were to heal the sick and to, anybody remember the other one? Cast out demons. Cast out demons. All right. So they went out and they could heal the sick, but what was the one thing they couldn't do? They couldn't cast out demons. So they come back to Jesus, and he knows what's going on. He knew they weren't going to be able to do it. He said, Jesus... We healed sick in your name, and we tried to cast out demons in your name. We couldn't do it. We couldn't cast out demons. And he said, oh, this kind comes about by two things. You remember what he said? Prayer and fasting. There are some things that God will not answer until there is some symbol of obedience. Now, a fast is this. Have you ever heard the word fast? Um, What is it usually in reference to? It's in reference to food, where you actually fast or take a break or you withhold from yourself food for a certain amount of time to focus on uh, something about God's nature or something that you're trying to do in God or something you're trying to move God's heart. A lot of times people fast just to get their heart reoriented towards God. It's a very common thing, and it's been around in Christianity for a long time. And it actually predates Christianity. The fast is a way to really get your body and your mind focused on God. And it doesn't have to be with just food. A fast is anything you take away from your body that you normally give it. And this could be anything. It could be Sports Center. 
You could take a fast from your device, your phone. You could take a fast, uh, a fast from Instagram or social media or something. You could take a fast from food. It could be that. But this fasting thing has an interesting facet to it that some of these prayers are so big that when we ask them, it's like a million-dollar prayer. In fact, I love what Pastor Phil said a few weeks back, if you guys remember him saying this, that some of us ask million-dollar prayers with a five-dollar effort. Isn't that good? If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down in the big blank space where my notes are supposed to be. Many of us make a million-dollar prayer with a five-dollar effort. Why should God honor my million-dollar request when I'm not even willing to put spare change down on the table towards it. God doesn't need my money, but he needs a symbol of obedience. How many of you guys are asking for something so big that God has to do it or it's not going to happen? Let me just see your hands. Anybody? A lot of hands around the room. You're asking for something so big that the only thing you can think of to do is just to keep asking, and there's, that's actually biblical. I'm going to teach you a new word tonight. Some of you are going to know this, but it's new to me, all right? I'm not that smart, so... It's a word, it's importunate. Anybody, have you ever heard importunate before? It's a great word, all right? Importunate basically means incessant requests to the point of extreme annoyance. All right? It's a great word. But Paul says, hey, pray without ceasing. Don't hang up the phone. When you're talking to God, not only make your request made known unto God, give thanksgiving, sing songs, praise God. Recall different things. Ask God to bring things to your memory. Always pray. Pray without ceasing, right? But this importunance is a great term because you go to God and you become that annoying child in the car driving down the road. When are we there yet? When can we stop for a potty break? I'm hungry. She hit me, all right? Those things. We become the incessant child that's always before God asking, right? We'll add to it your fast. Add to that incessant importunance a fast take something away just as a symbol of your obedience to say this all right god for the next seven days i'm going to take away caffeine i did this two months ago for my sister i was uh we were facetiming and um the she was on her computer i could see i was like hey what's going on she's like well i'm kind of busy i'm filling out an application and she's been looking for a job uh they live in cincinnati she's been looking for a job for like two years they uh, moved from Kentucky. She's got her master's degree. And you guys know it. If you're in education, if you got a master's degree, you're not top of the pick necessarily because they have to pay you more. If you get it while you're working there, it's another story. But she can't get a job right now. And she's so educated. She's so sharp and smart. She just can't get a job. So I said, and I'm, I'm really big into this prayer thing right now and prayer and fasting. I was like, okay, we're going to pray together, but we're going to have to fast together. And uh, I was like, let's take out what do you guys want to take away? And they're like, ah, let's just do coffee. I was like, okay, let's do coffee. And I, and I often want, I was like, well, I'm going to do coffee and sweets, all right, for a week. I had no idea what I was getting into. I'd never taken a real coffee break in 15 years. By Wednesday, I literally wanted to kill somebody. I had no idea how addicted to coffee I was, you guys. No idea. I'm putting this in my body every day, right? I take it away, and then I prayed. Check this out. And this is not to spite my sister, but it was actually kind of funny. I didn't pray that she get a job, but I prayed this. God, just speak to them in certainties. Give them something so certain that they'll know it's from you, whether it's something they want to hear or not. I pray for that specifically, and that's exactly what God did. By Thursday, my brother-in-law called. He's like, man, this is working. 
I was like, what happened? He's like, well, she didn't get a job yet, but um, I heard from God today. And he was reading out of 2 Kings, and he was like, man, it was so clear. It was like it jumped off the page. It talked about how this famine was going to last for like another three years, and then after it was going to come in the, the help. And he's like, and I know it now that if she doesn't get a job right now, it's okay. That is more worth a job than anything is to hear from God. And I'm telling you, that's how God does it. That's not, you know, you can't just say, well, I'm going to pray and fast because I need a new car. And uh, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to take away Xbox and uh, Starbucks for two weeks. And I know this is going to do it. That's not how it works. All right, it's not a system you can kind of call God at his bidding. But there is this sign of humility and obedience that God wants when you come to make those requests to him. I'm going to give you a couple things just to write down in in terms of uh, application. How can you use this? In the next 24 hours, so that I haven't wasted your time, how can you use this in the next 24 hours? And if you're writing notes, I want you to write just a couple of these down, okay? Actually, all of them. There's three. Check this out. Chad gave me this. This was great. Don't confuse God's silence with God's absence. Some of you guys right now, how many feel like you haven't heard from God in so long you feel abandoned? Just come be honest, because I'm going to be honest with you, real honest here in about five minutes. All right? You feel like you've been abandoned. All right? Good. Thank you for that. And I just want to speak this into your life. Don't confuse God's silence with God's absence. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's not there. There might be something that God is doing through the silence. Not might be. He is always working. But I can tell you what he did through me, through I felt abandoned. What God was doing was carving out a deeper desire for him that I didn't have. Guys, I can honestly tell you, I was so thankful for God and salvation, but I could honestly tell you, I didn't really love God. I love the idea of God, but I can honestly tell you, I don't feel like I really knew him. I knew my sins were paid for, kind of. I preached it so many times. I think just by repetition, it became something I believed in. But not until recently, until I asked God to prove himself to me. I didn't have assurance of salvation. Like I said, I grew up in pastor's home, went to Christian school, Bible college, married a pastor's kid. We have five pastor's kids. I've only ever been in the ministry vocationally, and I just got assurance of salvation at the age of 41. How does that happen? I got inoculated, you guys. I'd heard it so much. And there's some of you guys in here tonight, you've heard this over and over and over, and you're just waiting. You're like, it, it ain't real. I've heard this story. And I'm telling you guys, you've heard this, but it's true, and I'm living proof of this, that God can really speak to you. If you feel like he's abandoned you, he's still there. He's carving in you a greater desire to love him. He's teaching you that supernatural love that you don't have naturally. It ain't baked in. He has to give it to you. But don't confuse God's silence with God's absence. Well, I have to be really honest with you. And uh, in January, I started praying a dangerous prayer. I don't know what happened to you guys. I really don't. Um, I got so desperate for God, for something to happen. And I just felt like God wasn't moving in my life. Um, And there were some things that I'd harbored from God, but kind of justified them. Because a lot of them were, some of them were flagrant sins, and some of them were just kind of gray area sins. And I asked uh, God, 
I, in, a, in a moment of desperation, I said, Lord, I just need more of you. I, I, need, I, I just want to fall in love with Jesus. I want to experience your spirit in fullness. What do I need to do? I, what, what do I have to do to do that, to get that, you know? And it was like I was dating my wife again, dating my, my girlfriend, you know, that she was playing hard to get again. Like when I came to Jesus that first time, it's like the first time I asked, yeah, what happened? And now that I want more, it's like God was playing hard to get. Have you guys ever felt like that, that God was playing hard to get? Am I the only one? Am I alone? It felt like that, like God wasn't saying, and I was like in, in earnest. I was so honest, and I was trying to, Lord, whatever it is, just give me more. And he pointed to something in my heart. He said, I'll have that. I said, good luck. For 25 years, I dealt with lust. And at points in my life, with pornography. And he pointed to it. He said, I'll have that. I said, good luck. Because we've had this talk before. And you know that every time you take it, I know where you put it. And I'll go back and get it. That's how it works. So I've had this. Guys, it was unbelief in my heart that God could really take something from me. I didn't believe him because I didn't love him. So he pointed to that. And then I thought I'd play along. Well, my wife got sick from Thanksgiving to Valentine's Day. All right? So nothing happened between us for two months or so. That part of my life, sexually speaking, got taken away. And then I got a skin condition all over my body. You might have seen it if you know me well. It was on my eyes, all over my face. It was everywhere. And when I say everywhere, I mean everywhere. And I'm not embarrassed to tell you that. And I asked God, I said, is this connected to what I'm asking you for? And I got the affirmative that yes, your skin condition and your wife's sickness is a direct result of your sanctification and the lust and the porn that you won't give me. So I gave it to him. And he took it. Just like that. How crazy is that? It actually happened, you guys. I'm a grown man. I've been asking for years for God to do this, and he took it. How crazy is that? It can happen. Well, it didn't just stop there. It kept getting better and better and better. And I prayed, and, and I received the fullness of what God wanted to give me. And uh, I can't put it any other way than this, is I was praying in my closet at home, and weirded the kids out, <laughs> and my wife, and they'd come looking for me. Where's Daddy? I think he's in the closet. <laughs> Dad, is everything okay? Yeah, I'm just praying for you guys by name. Okay, is Daddy okay? Literally, my five-year-old, is Daddy okay, you know? And um, so it just gets weirder and weirder, but better. I mean, it's, it's really great. Um, but guys, I can't tell you what living in victory feels like because I've never lived in it for 25 years. 
25 years, a quarter of a century, I haven't lived in victory, and God has taken it from me. And he wants to do the same for you. But I'm telling you, you won't be able to get it without prayer. It won't happen. There's something that you guys, this doomed mission that Jesus sent the disciples on where they couldn't cast out the demon without prayer and fasting. There's some demons in your heart right now, in your own life, that won't be removed without sincere, earnest, intense prayer and fasting. It's going to cost. If you want more of God, it's going to cost you something. That's just how it works. That's the economics. It's like, well, I thought God loved me, repaid good for evil. That's for salvation. For sanctification, it's a different story. You have to be willing to obey God through the hard stuff. Well, the coolest thing that happened was this, is I was, one night, I was just begging. I, God had taken this from me, but I was still suffering, and I hadn't felt like I'd had victory. And I was in my, my closet praying, and I was reciting the words of a song, uh, O love that will not let me go. And my wife started playing it downstairs in the basement. She didn't know I was upstairs reading the lyrics. And this melody comes up from the ground. And it just bolted me to the floor. And I knew that God loved me. How crazy is that? I knew that for the first time in my life, Romans 8 won't apply to me. That there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And that I was indeed a child of God. Some of you tonight, I wish you could, I wish you could have that right now. Because some of you, I know it right now. You feel like you're saved, you've experienced forgiveness of sin, but you have not come into a loving relationship with God. It will not happen without prayer. It won't happen. And I'll tell you this is the last thing. The dangerous prayer I prayed in January was this. Father, Make me more like Jesus by whatever means necessary. And that's what I want you to pray. Because God will do it. And you have to mean it. You have to really get down on it and say, Lord, I know it's going to cost me, but I want the more. I want more Jesus. I really want to fall in love with Jesus. I want to adore Jesus. And that's when you start praying, Lord, I know, I know you, but I don't know you as I should. That's when you start praying, Lord, I, I love you, but I don't love you as I should. You start saying, Lord, I adore you, but I don't adore you as I should. And you start praying as, Father, make me more like Jesus by whatever means necessary. And he'll start. And it's painful. And it's going to hurt you. But it's the best pain you could ever experience in your life because you know something's happening. He's taken from something from you that you could never take from yourself. He's pulling it away from your grip. He's taking it off of the mercy seat in your heart where he belongs, and he'll do it. Father, make me more like Jesus by whatever means necessary. And the last facet I wanna give you is this. If you're taking notes, write this. Pray till you pray. A.W. Tozer, old theologian, pastor out of Pennsylvania said this. Pray till you pray. And I can honestly say this happened. I was in my closet again and um, Actually, this time I was in the car. I was going back to Indiana to see family. And uh, I, I, felt, I heard this pray to you pray thing. I'm like, I'm going to try this. And I'd already received 
more of Jesus. I'd already received fullness and blessed assurance. I'd received assurance of salvation. I'd had that, but I hadn't had that pray till I prayed moment yet. So I was like, I'm gonna do this. And, I, and we were in the van for about nine hours and from about Effingham, Illinois to Richmond, Indiana, I prayed for about three and a half, four hours. I'd never prayed that long in my life. And the first part of it, this pray to you pray idea is this, is your first prayer when you pray to you pray, the first part of it, and honestly, every prayer that you start out, unless you're way down the road, and, and this could be the case. Some of you have very heartfelt prayers and you mean them and right off the bat, it's, it's significant. It, um, it really changes you, it changes people, it moves the heart of God. And, but I would say the majority of us have mechanical prayers to start out with, where it's like, Lord, just pray that you give somebody safety. I prayed for this guy, but he didn't know what else to say other than God give me wisdom. That's just the junk drawer prayer anyway. I refuse to pray for wisdom for people unless they give me a specific example, right? Uh, pray for a financial thing over here and God, I pray your presence over here, my neighbor's salvation over here. And it was all like just mechanical. And I tell you what it felt like. It felt like God handed me this instrument that I didn't know how to play. And he's like, just play, play this. Play this instrument that you know nothing about. And in fact, play it left-handed. And, <laughs> and now play me my favorite song, the one that I didn't know. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I've got an instrument that I don't know how to play. And God, you want me to play you a song that I don't know. And I, so I struggled. And I plunked out a melody, you know, for just a little bit. And is that good, God? And I pray for safety for this guy and wisdom for this one and, and salvation for my oldest son. And, uh, and I pray for all these things. And, and then after about 40 minutes... I handed the instrument back to God. It was like I kind of held it out. I was like, okay, are we done? He's like, no. And then he asked for the instrument, and I tried to give it to him, but he meant me, and I became the instrument of prayer. And after about 40 minutes, 45 minutes of praying, God just opened up the floodgates of my heart and just started lobbing prayers in my heart and praises and stuff I hadn't remembered in years to recall and to be thankful for and to pray for this person that I hadn't thought about in 10 years and just lobbing stuff in my heart going, pray this, do this, ask this. And I'm telling you guys, it was the best prayer I've ever had in my life. And it came to an end in my parents' driveway and I didn't want to quit. Pray till you pray. There's a couple different prayers some of you need to pray tonight. Some of you need to pray the prayer of salvation, and it's as simple as this. Lord, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. And I realize that who you sent in Jesus Christ to live the life that I never could and die the death that was mine and rose from the grave, that he won for me so great a salvation and I'm taking you up on that offer. That might be your prayer tonight. If I'd, I'd ask you just to bow your heads and just to be an attitude of prayer, I wanna ask you just tonight, if that's you, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from really making that decision? Maybe some of you are thinking, yep, it's time. I'm here, I'm done thinking about it, I'm done praying about it. And I'm, 
I'm just going to make my prayer to God right now. Lord, I accept your offer of wholesale forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And that's the prayer you need to pray. Some of you right now have something going on in your heart and life where the only thing that is suitable is something that you'd be embarrassed to have in public. Some, something that's burning in your heart and it's so hot it's like a coal and it won't move and you're thinking the only way I'm going to get this out is just to tell God and, and a scream some of you the prayer that you need to pray tonight is this is Lord I have been harboring a pet sin in my life that I guard with my life and I hide it in my heart and it's sitting on your throne where you belong and Lord, I'm asking you, this is the dangerous prayer you need to pray. And I'm asking you right now to pray it with me. Father, make me more like Jesus by whatever means necessary. Some of you need to pray that right now. And in your heart and your mind, without even thinking about it, I want you to pray that with me right now. Father, make me more like Jesus by whatever means necessary. And he will do it. I understand that we're going to have some workers down here to help you pray and to help you uh, understand. So if that's the case, I'd ask those workers to come forward at this time. And we're going to have some people that really love you and they want to help you. And if nothing else, they want to be an ear and a sounding board to what you're going through. They want to help you articulate the kind of prayer, but you know it in your heart what kind of prayer you need to offer. But just always take refuge in this, that when you don't know how to pray as you should, Romans 8.26 is your verse. The Spirit of God speaks and groans too deep for human intellect. And when you don't know what to pray for as you should or what kind of prayer to offer as you ought, the Spirit prays for you and groans too deep for words. And not only that, He's the one that knows the mind and the great will of God and will answer accordingly to it. He will somehow, like a skilled attorney, find a favorable answer for you. You just have to call out to Him. So I invite you to stand as we pray. And if you'd like to come forward after that during the music, then I'd invite you to do that too. Well, Lord Jesus, you have made a way by your life and death and resurrection that we can have a direct connection with the Father. Lord, I ask you tonight that if there is someone here that has not prayed to ask you for salvation, that tonight they would just take off the brakes and it's it I'm going in I'm praying for that Lord I ask you that you would do a work in their hearts Lord I pray that if the prayer tonight is something that they can't even utter that God you would help us our workers our own hearts to help this person pray for the thing they can't even articulate put into words God pray for us right now God if there's someone here tonight that's willing they're saying Father, make me more like Jesus by whatever means necessary. I mean it. I mean business. I want to change. I want to be more like Jesus. I pray, God, that you not only give us wisdom to do so, but the courage to step out and to get over ourselves and to pray in Jesus' name. You come with God's call.